As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support from people like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast. covering news from the agricultural and turf grass industries. Welcome to another episode of Burning Return. Uh, I want to thank everyone for tuning in today. My name is Matt, the Grass Vector Martin. Uh, and I am I'm going to be a bit of a host tonight and walk you through a series of various headlines, segments we call burns, which is going to dive into the world of some misinformation, some spicy headlines, or maybe even just some highly, highly inaccurate or uh, or maybe some opinion pieces that we have strong opinions on. And then we'll cap off the night with some good, positive news stemming from our industry. Oh. But let us not forget, we have the mailbag as well. You've got mail. And we do phrase it after the old, uh, the old Hill Welcome now because, uh, because we're, we're a product of that because, generation. Because fuck CompuServe. I, hey, sir, I thought it was Apple. Now we're going back to CompuServe? Yeah, CompuServe. What was the other one, too? Uh, oh, I don't know. Netscape? Oh. No, that was Prodigy? just a browser. Hang Prodigy, yes. Prodigy. Yeah. Prodigy. You know, yeah, we're digging into the archives today. Remember, uh, now, now. I'm burning my turn. Yeah, I was going to say, back in, back in Memphis, they probably only had net zero. You remember net zero? You got like 14.4, <laughs> yeah, and it was literally free. Like, everybody else is rocking 56.6, and there's your sorry ass, like, Hey, it's kind of lagging a little bit. Yeah, but Nate, if zero. you killed the advertising banner, you could get more bandwidth. Oh, is that? <laughs> yeah, that's what you had to do. <laughs> I feel like Net Zero was the first internet I ever connected to, and I remember it was at my dad's. I party. knew it, and uh, and I was young. You know, I was I was pretty young at the time. I was born in '86, so I don't remember what year this was, but. We we connected, and I believe it was Netscape. And um, I remember my dad letting me type an email and send it, and uh, and then and then we we read it. And he like send it to himself or something, and then we read it. And I remember thinking that was the most fascinating thing in the entire world. And uh, and that's why I failed uh, when I took uh, computer courses in college because um, I don't I have no idea how that parlays, but I did. Okay. Thanks, Net Zero. You led me to a hole of despair. Now, clearly, causation and correlation, we can assume that all people that had Net Zero are now uh, fertilizer manufacturers and blenders. Or failures. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one and the same, Mr. Martin, one and the same. 
listen, if you fail once, you try, try and fail again. It is, uh, that's the rule, right? Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. Uh, well, I fucked up again. Hey, as we <laughs> learned, as we learned in our after show, right? You know, if you fail, you know, just take all that, uh, all that dust off the floor and scrape it up and call it a happy little accident and sell it. Right? It's all good. Zapow. There's nothing like a little floor sweep going into a bag and calling it the ultra. <laughs> um, gentlemen, uh, by the way, everybody listening along at home, this is uh, Ryan DeMay and Ray Ito, who's right here next to me, and uh, they're going gentlemen. to be my co-hosts. We're gonna have we're gonna have a phenomenal evening. Gentlemen, let's jump into this week's headlines. In my best Sean Connery voice. Uh, gentlemen, because I am a glutton for punishment, I keep dipping back into the well. And we are going to start off with dum 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 another article about Sri Lanka. And maybe, <laughs> just maybe, we have reached the end of the road because Sri Lanka settles a $6.9 million fertilizer bill. bill, bill with Chinese supplier. Um, anyway, if anybody's not aware of what happened, I think we've beat this into the absolute ground where uh, uh, in, in Sri Lanka's quest to become the first country with 100% organic crop production, uh, secured a contract with a special Qingdao Seawind Biotech group out of China for 20,000 tons of seaweed fertilizer except it was contaminated with Irwinia. Hashtag uh, buy my Irwinia. Hashtag <laughs> buy my Irwinia. Uh, this, is, this takes BMS to a whole new level here. So it looks like, it looks like they have settled it. Um, and I have not read this in any great detail because uh, I, I honestly had no idea this had come out. I had been... Uh, in, in, uh, there's going to be an article a little later in the segment here that I have had my head up its ass. And, uh, but here we go. This is an interesting little tidbit here. You know, you have this quest to go 100% organic, and I'll, I'll read this line. The island nation is facing its worst ever financial crisis as its foreign reserves quickly dry up. By the end of December, it had just $3.1 in foreign reserves. This year, it is expected to pay around $4.5 billion to service its sovereign bond. Um, I don't know. I hate to point the, the finger at China here, but I don't wonder if China's pointing the finger at themselves and jumping up and down and saying, look, my, I did that. <laughs> it's a hot take. It was so hot. <laughs> it restarted the headlines. Yeah. I don't the know. headlines were like, holy crap. The, the funny part here to me is the fact that if you look at the reason why this got settled is because there was a, a diplomatic delegation that was coming from China into Sri Lanka. Right. Uh, so, you know, obviously they wanted to, you know, make it, make everything, you know, kosher and nice and everything for them to come. But I'm going to guess that a few of those seats in that uh, jet were probably occupied by some people that Ray had some special tools and could do uh, some very hard work if they needed to. Uh, to the tune of about six point nine million dollars, you know, you really have to wonder, like, yep. you know, what's your what's your life worth? To you I saw that, Jay Pink. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, this is just par for the course where warning people, you get in bed with the Chinese, they smile, they're very coy, they're giggling maybe even. But at the end of the day, People's Republic of China is all business people. And you know how I know China is all business? Why is that? I've even had encounters with what's known as the triad. Oh, what is the triad, Ray? It's not like a trident, right? No. Ray, Ray, no. Ray killed the guy with the trident. No. You should probably get out of town later. Triad. The triad is the name for the Chinese organized crime families. So there's a Chinese equivalent of the family. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Is that that what happened to Jack Ma? Or the tennis tennis lady? Yeah, probably the tennis lady. I don't know. Yeah, probably the the tennis lady. I think the tennis and lady is now like a the, weekend at Bernie situation. The, I'm just saying. The thing they about bands, dude. You okay, the thing about the triad is, of course, officially the Chinese government disavows any relationship with the triads. They uh, say, of course, they're organized criminals. They operate above the law. They are not in any way, shape, or form associated with the state. However, however, uh, as as Mr. DeMay pointed out, they have the tools to do certain jobs. Well, one thing we did learn from Ray <laughs> were the uh, were the uh, the death bands, right? And uh, <laughs> if 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 there is a country that is bold enough to operate uh, a fleet of death bands, then you know, hey, uh, welcome to international <laughs> business in the land of the Far East, I guess. Uh, what did? Uh, yeah, never mind. We won't go there. All right, moving. I'll on. tell you. Uh, yeah, let's check out this next headline because this d- directly pertains to a lot of people that are out there. And the New Jersey Assembly passes legislation to limit uses of bee-killing pesticides. This makes me just angry. Sometimes. Governor Murphy can ban the most prevalent uses of neonics. Uh, the New Jersey Assembly passed legislation by a 54-22 vote on Monday to classify bee-killing neonicotinoids, also known as neonics, as restricted-use pesticides. If Governor Phil Murphy signs the measure, New Jersey will become the sixth state to adopt this type of save the bees policy. Environment New Jersey and its national partner, Environment America, have been leaders of several save the bee coalitions in New Jersey and across the United States. And Environment New Jersey canvassed neighborhoods last summer to educate New Jerseyans about the plight of bees. By passing this bill, we are taking some of the sting out of an increasingly toxic environment for bees. We can now Ooh. promise our pollinators a safer garden state when they return in the spring. And we'll end this right here with, uh, the New Jersey legislator has created a new buzz with its passage of this bee-saving bill. With this and other recently passed state laws, new federal funding for bee habitats, it feels like we're finally getting serious about saving the bees. Said (laughs) Malaya Libby, Save the Bees Conservation Associate for Environment America. It's a great way to start the new year. 
Um, I'm surprised nobody said in this article that we found the honey hole. Why was that not in there? We had all these other guys, all these other metaphors. Ray, I, I don't know. I mean, there's some there's some people you'd like to find the honey hole with, and then there's some people that you don't. And so this was more no. of a uh, an awareness thing for folks in New Jersey to understand. <laughs> Why? Why <laughs> is that there? Why is that a thing? This is just all. When you go inside booze, honey hole, it doesn't taste like honey. Don't ask me how I know. No, no, uh, no. This is all just uh, more stupidity because neonicotinoids, in their normal use case scenarios, do not adversely affect bees, and I don't think they affect bees as much as uh, previous. Uh, Insect control protocols because Matt, guess what they used to do for turf pests before we had pesticides like uh, imidacloprid and clothianidin? Guess what used to be applied to turf? Uh, ban. Carbaryl. A lot oh, of yeah, carbaryl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of carbaryl. And a lot of carbaryl. <laughs> and here's what here's what I know about carbaryl is by far carbaryl is one of the best products I know of if I want to wipe out a bee colony. That is by far the best. That is the, the best product. I've ever done that, uh, but I have turned many a lawn uh, ashy. Uh, with uh, sufficient amounts of carbaryl, there's no doubt about it. Um, you have you have done it, but then, with, by the way, <laughs> of course, Matt, of course. But well, you know, sometimes you got to load it into the permagreen and and save a little time, and you know, it turns you know, mm-hmm. a funny shade of, of ashy, of white. <laughs> but uh, again, this this just doesn't. Uh, what does this do? What does this actually it, do? I think what they're trying to do, and again, is there evidence virtue signal? In, 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 well, is there evidence just in virtue signal <laughs> with with uh, impacts to pollinators and neonics? There's some linkage there, and uh, you know, I think this is the thing that feels good to do. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, fellas, is I would I would almost I'm glad this is happening in a way because to me, the diamides are the next big thing and people should be using them anyway, in my mind, me personally, my, my choice of how I've managed turf, but they're also expensive and they don't really fit right now from a price point into a a lawn care program. Like they just don't. And so I think this is going to be a very interesting thing. You know, we had a really good talk with turfology uh, during their thirsty Thursday episode. I recommend if you want to hear about crab control and armyworms and some of the other insects that were really a, a big deal uh, in the Midwest and the Northeast, at least this year, it ought, you know, you ought to go take a look at that. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I think it needs that people can, can move that up. Although I will say this, Ray, I don't like that they're taking stuff away that works on other things. Right. So taking away like, clothianidin against chinch bugs bill bugs let's say like that hurts that hurts big time well because the diamides well, because don't really touch 
shows. They don't really they don't really do it. And the thing is, is that my biggest use case for new nicotinoids is on trees and shrubs. Actually, that's my biggest use case is uh, because again, I come from the days when that trident spray gun was actually pointed up into trees and I was shooting either Dizenon or Carbaryl or Dinesoate up those trees. And you want to talk about bee toxic right there. So for me, what I don't see a lot of bee kill from is an appropriately placed application of neonicotinoids, you know, for tree and shrub insect control and, for the listeners, an appropriate placement of a new nicotinoid application on a tree is either as a trunk injection or as a soil injection. Please do not use new nicotinoids as a foliar spray on trees. Don't. And that kind of leads me into this point here, and I'm just going to throw this out there for uh, the sake of uh, argument purposes. but. Um, would you rather see new nicotinoids be moved as to a restricted use product, or would you like to see the spray logs of applicators analyzed in public to be scrutinized by public um, to show how many applications are made foliarly while things are in full bloom? Right. That would because th- th- it could be found guaranteed there's going to be someone out there making that mistake and making that application, even though it is directly against the statements of how the label has been amended to these days. And it would create an absolute mega amount of negative attention towards the industry. It would undo so much of the positive changes in the, the evolution of the industry as we see it, because they would find the people who make mistakes and use them as poster boys to say all lawn care is bad. This is why we keep saying that, and here's the reason why. So I'm, I promise you I am not the person who is more, who's for more government intervention in people's individual lives. Um, but if the choice is between um, exposing and making an example out of the few bad applicators versus putting it behind a restricted use uh, uh, protocol, I would much rather see it become a restricted use product than um, use it to highlight the the outliers of of do bads within the industry. I take I don't know. Okay, I'm in agreement with you. I'm I'm in agreement with you because then once a product like this is behind the wall of the state restricted use listing. Then wonderful things happen, like all consumption of the said product is now subject to audit by the by the, the New Jersey Department of Agriculture. And in that audit, you're probably going to catch those turkeys that are, for example, routinely spraying trees and shrubs with mixtures containing imidacloprid, for example. And by the way. The only way I bring that up is I know somebody in town who I'm going to hold responsible for creating a resistant population of mealybug. 
He did it. And you know how he did it, Matt? Lame applications of imidacloprid? Yep. Uh, how's this one? This was his application. Couple tablespoons of Merit 75WP. Uh, I think a couple tablespoons of Telstar. The balance horticultural oil. And all of that goes into a one quart hose end sprayer. Yeah. I. Uh, uh, yeah. Listen, yeah. I, I mean, there's some things you should <laughs> and you shouldn't do. Um, making tree shrub applications. Really? Um, uh, yeah. Applications with the hose and sprayer in general is just not. not How do we get it the permagreen, though? Put into practice. Huh? I said, How do we get it the permagreen? Jimmy. I'm, I did, uh, I'm trying to. You got to reset yourself. You're going down a bad place. Yeah, you're going to a bad place. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now, I'm back. No, yeah. Yeah, pretty soon, both of us are going to need the fork to stick in the electric socket. No, <laughs> both of us are going to need that. <laughs> well, before we do, let's check out what's going on in the technology world. Uh, FarmSense uses sensors and machine learning to bug-proof crops. Which, uh, hey, here we go. We're making some, some headway yeah. here. So before we stick and kill the electricity, stick the socket with the fork, let's... Let these guys do some work. Uh, gnawing, burrowing, and infecting. The damage is caused to agriculture by insect pests like Japanese beetles exceed uh, beetle, beetles. 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 Exceed $100 billion every year, according to the Agricultural Research Service of the USDA. And along with plant diseases, which the exoskeleton buggers can also transmit, arthropods account for the annual 40% loss of agricultural production worldwide. Interfarm really? since... A Riverside, California-based tech startup attempting to solve the insect problems. The company creates optical sensors and novel classification symptoms, systems, symptoms based on machine learning algorithms to identify track and track insects in real time. The key here, real-time information. They claim real-time information provided by their sensors allow for early detection and thus the timely deployment of pest management tools such as insecticides or biological controls. Current mechanical traps used for monitoring may only yield important intel 10 to 14 days uh, after the bugs' arrivals. Um, pretty fascinating here. I do like to see this. I know there has been some work in the disease management space on tomatoes. I saw an ag tech startup that had modified a drone and flew it over tomato fields to test for a specific something. I don't know what it is. and. Um, and, and basically, whatever this collection device they flew over, they would bring back, analyze, and say, okay, well, the, the presence is here, and it's beyond a certain threshold. Therefore, it qualifies uh, 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 for an application of a, uh, of a fungicide at this point. So, interesting, we're seeing it now in the pest world, which I'm not sure I've seen a whole lot of this yet. I, I mean, again, it's it's interesting... It, it, you know, it reminds me of this, like, uh, Ray, you remember, uh, I'm not even going to ask Matt, I'm not even going to go there. Ray, you remember Mission Possible with Tom Cruise when he's got to get into that uh, clean room and he's trying not to make a sound and all that kind of stuff? It's pretty interesting yep. how they're going to do this and almost make it like sonar in a way where they're, you know, they're trying to track sound waves and figure out what pitch and all like, like, I don't know how this translates into turf. And what you can do with it. I mean, just either from a scouting perspective, seems seems promising. 
right? I mean, there's a long, well, long way to go with it, but seems promising. Here's uh, here's what I know about uh, remote uh, crop monitoring to date is what's done is, Ryan, they put the equivalent of the infrared stress detection glasses on a camera. Mm-hmm. And when areas in the field light up in a different color from the rest of the field, chances are that area of the field has some kind of a pest problem. Like, for example, what I know in agricultural crops is they depicted the Japanese beetle as the biggest pest or as the pest featured on, the, you know, on their illustration. However, the actual big pests in agriculture are typically pests like aphids, uh, spider mite, and even leaf miner. And the thing is, is that damage from those pests does not show up as chewed leaves. Instead, the damage shows up as stressed plants that then are most likely able to be picked up by that uh, infrared lens type technology. So I can see that having utility because, for example, you see areas of the field lighting up different. Sorry, guys, it's time to send out the next set of drones, this one loaded with the insecticides. I can see that in our future. So, 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 okay, Sean, I'm not opposed to robotic or AI-driven technology. However, I still don't think that robots can cut grass. They can do a lot of other things, though. <laughs> <laughs> Just thought I'd put that out there. <laughs> right. Everybody, listen, th- there's some hot takes, and we aren't even close being done boys this one is going to have the highest scoville units we need to love my lawn in here to measure our scoville units on how spicy this episode is going to get listen with this next article here i just need somebody to to explain to me why right i need i need someone to explain the why uh lawn mentor you need a mentor perhaps (laughs) this is your area of expertise that you can explain to me but why in God's green earth has China hoarded over half the world's grain, pushing up global prices? And uh, in the original article I logged into uh, uh, Notion here is one from, uh, uh, from, from Japan. So understand that this is probably written from the lens of Japanese. And I feel comfortable saying that because my wife is from Japan. I promise it's not one of those things where I'm saying I'm not racist because I have a black friend kind of thing. Like I'm not picking on the Chinese because I have a what? Japanese wife kind of thing. Hey, Telly, what's up, man? <laughs> <laughs> this is a bad joke. I'm sorry. Don't make Telly uh, the according, black guy. And, and look, yeah, we I've got, got Palmer. I, I'm putting this up from, I have no idea what, what news source this is. And it could be, this could be straight out of QAnon for all I know. So forgive me. This was the only write-up I could see about it, but there are legitimate sources <laughs> that talk about this. 
<laughs> According to the data from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, China is expected to have 69% of the world's maize reserved by the first half of the crop year of 2022. The country is also projected to have 60% of the world's rice reserves and 51% of its wheat. Less than 20% of the world's population has managed to stockpile more than half of the world's reserves, leading to consequences such as steep price increases across the planet and famine. Wow. Uh, China's Kafka Group, a state-owned food processor, operates one of China's largest food stockpiling bases at the port of Dalian. The facility stores beans and grains gathered in China and abroad in a staggering 310 silos. U.S. Department of Agriculture data shows that China continues to hoard grain despite food shortages across the world. The figures represent increases of roughly 20 percentage points in the past 10 years alone, while China spent over $98 billion importing food and beverages in 2020. Between January and September of 2021, China imported more food than it has since at least 2016. China's soybean, maize, and wheat imports have skyrocketed 2 to 12-fold over the past five years on aggressive purchases from supplier nations such as the U.S. and Brazil. While China stockpiles the world's grain reserves, the number of people living in the famine-struck famine regions topped 700 million in 2020, according to the EU. My question is, is what in the hell is going on in China? Why would you need 50%, over 50% of the world's stockpile of grain? I, uh, listen, I, I'm I'm not going to go too deep in the wormhole of what I've read in the last few weeks about their housing situation and the bubble that is it's in, and some of the other things that seem to be going on economically in terms of how they're pulling back majorly in a lot of different ways. I I don't know if they're I don't think they're preparing for war or anything like that, but I think that there there is a lot of stuff, and this is just pure conjecture. This is uh, Matt. Yeah, there you go. Stick, uh, I think we talked about this uh, the other night in the chat, but I'm going to need the food service grade tinfoil to make my hat out of when I say this. But it seems like they're preparing that something bad's going to happen there economically, right? And they know uh, the, the headwinds here worldwide are not in their favor in a lot of ways, and I think that's what you're seeing with them trying to go out and own these countries, you know, through like what they're doing with Sri Lanka and what they're doing in uh, sub-Saharan Africa and a lot of other places. So it will be interesting to see, but you're right. What else makes sense? Like Ray, can you think of any reason, legitimate reason why that, why they would need to have over half the world's grain? Like I'm trying to think of it. Nothing makes sense to me. And I'm just, your explanation was great. By the way, that was very, very convincing. Okay. The only other thing well, that I you. need to add that I need to add to this is the fact that their own COVID policy has shut down the internal economy of China and shut it down hard. And so Again, they are having to create reserves uh, and generate reserves because, by the way, it is not going to be a good headline where what breaks out on the news is 
China's COVID eradication policies are also causing widespread famine internally in China. Because unlike other countries that have imposed mandates and lockdowns, did you know that in those lockdown-affected regions of China, the government themselves is making widespread distributions of food directly. Did you all know that? Mm, I did not know that. No, but it's not stunning to hear it uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, but... but uh, a different way of life then, over there, to put it. Yeah, together. but then what my point is on this is that China is preparing or is basically in the middle of a situation that is very different from what you're used to, what I'm used to, what the rest of the world is used to, where they're basically hunkering down because from what I've seen and heard, uh, they're policy or there's desire to eradicate COVID, for example, ain't turning out too well. It's not working. It's just not working. So in order to get through that, fact of the matter is, is in six months to a year, shit's going to hit the fan in China. Really. And to, to clarify, I, I want to make a point here is that it sounds like we pick on China a lot. And to be honest and, and fair, 100% absolutely we do because. <laughs> yeah. The, the, what other nation? One of the few the, nation the, states actively engaged in genocide right now. I mean, they kind of had it coming, but okay. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and the, for the, 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 the geopolitical like nice economic warfare of economic warfare. I mean, that's just very direct way to put that. What? I mean, economic warfare, guys. I mean, right? That was direct and harsh. That was direct and harsh. Um, <laughs> Does that mean I, China Truth is going to come tell us we're in trouble? No, it wasn't China <laughs> Truth. It was actually, I don't know where I was going with that. I made a bad connection there. Turf Truth, I still love you. But if there is a cousin <laughs> that you have overseas, we would like to speak with he or she. Uh, but the, the the reason why is that there's there's been a lot of crossover, right? Where you know we start you know hearing grumblings about um, uh, pesticide shortages because of shutdowns that are taking place over there, and you know gladly the United States uh, handed up the manufacturing of that, and now all of a sudden they're they're, they're hoarding you know half of the world's grain. Uh, we watch what happens economically when countries like Sri Lanka and. It just it's weird. It is super, super weird from an outside looking in and trying to take a. Uh, um, uh, what I, I don't I'm know. curious, it's though, like bizarre. I, I really need to study like history a little bit better, you know, during like the imperial British era, because I bet you if they had a 24 hour news cycle back then, there was probably some really fucked up and shady shit going on back then. Right. <laughs> Let alone, I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine if CNN and Genghis Khan existed in the same time? I mean, fuck, guys, that would be shit. Yep. Yep. Oh Lord. And another, and another news: uh, Genghis butchered four hundred virgins and screwed a young boy last night. More to (laughs) live. Uh, 
gentlemen, <laughs> let's go ahead and take a moment to appreciate those who appreciate us. And uh, this week's sponsor, gentlemen, we just owe the world to our patrons. Uh, if you have the ability, if you have the means, feel free to support Burnham Return. For the cost of it, cheaper than an airport beer, you can become an edger. Uh, you can become an edgelord, as, uh, as Jay Pink said in our private chat. I, I don't know where I was going with that. I had a joke lined up and it, it just, it just evaporated from my brain because I have, I have a pea brain. Let's be honest. <laughs> if you have it within your means and uh, you enjoy the content we put out and you want access to exclusive content that we put it out and then consider becoming a, uh, a, uh, a, a patron. And, uh, you know, with each individual category, you get in individual exclusive, you know, tiers and, and, uh, incentives of, of becoming that level of patron. Right. And in fact, and this is top secret right now, but J Pink has finished up the latest artwork for the, uh, oh, look at this right here. And I believe, <laughs> I believe DeMay said that was a cloud of glyphosate behind that van right there. Uh, so anyway, this is going out to our top two tier patrons. Uh, this is an exclusive t-shirt that is only going to them. So uh, thank you. Or, I'm sorry for our, our, our top tier. Um, so thank you to, uh, to all of you uh, who are our co-producers in this. Also, if you find yourself in criminal trouble, whether it be uh, uh, federally or locally to the Massachusetts area, check out Jesse Bouquet's, uh, Bouquet's law firm. Because I know we got some damn criminals out there, right? <laughs> I know we've got some criminals out there. Check it out. Uh, next week, we've got another new sponsor coming on. Uh, sorry, guys, I haven't uh, told anybody yet. And so next week, we'll be unveiling that as well. But I uh, do show some love to Jesse Bousquet. And, um, and of course, to the, to the patrons, thank you for all you do to allow us to continue to blabber on up here and make complete and total buffoons of ourselves. That being said, we will move on to, oh, and Rhode Island, Jesse said, and Rhode Island. Um. Let's check out this week's Iron Boy, boy, this headline right here is, is a real doozy. Industrial wastewater pond used for fertilizer causing strong odor near Fairview, Missouri. Uh, many people living near the communities of Fairview and Wheaton say a large industrial wastewater pond that is used for fertilizer is causing a putrid smell. You might recall KY3 ran a story. Uh, Ryan, there's a joke in there. Somewhere. Ran a, it was so spicy, it happened again. Look, we're on fire tonight, boys. <laughs> when the reset button gets hit, that's how you know. That is how you know the takes are exceptionally. As you might recall, KY3 Giggity ran a story several weeks ago about a, mis a mystery smell across Springfield. Since then, KY3 Giggity has received several concerns about other odors across the Ozarks. Many people living in Fairview said they do not have words to describe the smell. The stench is coming from the dumping of industrial waste used as fertilizer spread. It's a combination of sewage smell and chicken sewage, said Mark Wells, who lives near downtown Fairview. I don't know how to explain it. It's just a raw sewage smells. Even a few miles <laughs> away, you can smell it. It's strong, especially in summertime when they're watering or whatever out there. 
it gets real strong out here in the summer with the heat and wind blowing from the south and blowing it right across here. The stench is even worse for those living right by the pond. If the wind catches it, we smell it fairly often. Anytime it rains, it tends to start to smell and push it our way. It's far worse than anything we've ever had to deal with. Um, so here we go. Um, boys, talk to me. What's what's going on here? Should, should, should the, the poor citizens and readers of KY3 be subjected to this? Or- <laughs> you know, um, I'm just picturing if, you know, somebody is trying to sell a house there right now. Like, if you're the realtor, because, like, realtors are some very masterful people when it comes to spend. You know? <laughs> like, they, they can they can come up with one thing about the house that just, like, totally glosses over all the shitty parts of the, of the house. And so they're like, okay, all right, there's a cesspool of smelly shit in the backyard. What am I going to say? Spacious foyer. Open floor plan. Great drainage. Great, great. <laughs> the lawn drains beautifully. Actually, there's also zero sewer bill too. If you're lucky, <laughs> we just did right. a four inch per. We did a four inch solid pipe right down to the fucking pond. <laughs> Cut down on that. I mean, I I don't know. I how does this happen? Like, I don't know. I I just you see some of the stuff tell- and you wonder. You well, I'm just saying, right? You wonder why all this shit gets a bad rap, and it's because, again, this is, I don't know, single digit tenths of a percent of people that are operating this stuff and doing it. But this, to Matt's point, you know what he always says about lawns: this is what gets exposed, and now we suffer the ramifications. So, what do you think about this? Well, I'll tell you what I think is, I still firmly believe that there are certain materials that I don't want recycled. I don't want reused. I don't want them upcycled. You know what I want done with them? I want them to be incinerated at high temperature and the, the remaining ash be landfilled. Okay? I don't want to live near a stinking pile of shit. No, thank you. <laughs> I don't care what the proposed end purpose of that is either. No, thanks. And because, for example, I'm not one of those people that chops up a line of milorganite and snorts it and says, Ah, the, the smell of success. That's not me. Well, not at all, know, Ray. Ray, if you don't want to live next to a sticking pile of shit, I just have one question for you. What if Kim K was actually really nice and she liked you for who you are? Would you still want to live next to a stinking pile of shit? No, thanks. I love you. Kim. I have my, pr- I have my principles. <laughs> Kanye is going to have me killed now. Uh, Denali Water Solutions recently completed a lagoon clean-out land application in late December at Newton County. State officials with the Department of Natural Resources visited the site during the event and noted the operation was in compliance with all state regulations and guidelines. Here's the so thing is that co- you I can tell you from a, pond. A, small business o- <laughs> you a small business owner, the, the amount of bullshit regulations that I have encountered over the years, and these guys can blow up a downtown Fairview uh, with, with, uh, with foul odors 
And I mean, it just, I wonder, like, how do they get approval with such ease? Speaking of stinking piles of shit, this is a real doozy here. And I hope you go into the behind the scenes uh, details that you have for us on, on this particular article here as well today. California's public oh golf courses to be converted to affordable housing complexes under AB 672. What about the impact of state's golf tourism and at-risk youth programs? A bill in California and California legislator, 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 Arthur, Assemblywoman <laughs> Christina Garcia is proposing to convert California public municipal golf courses into affordable housing. Assembly Bill 672 provides $50 million in, in developer subsidies to redevelop California's municipal golf courses into affordable housing complexes. Golf Week reported the bill would remove municipal golf courses from protections of the Public Park Preservation Act, provide an exemption to the California Environmental Quality Act, or the CEQA, and make it easier to rezone public open space land for housing. Uh, golf is declining in, in California. The fact sheet also states in the 80s and 90s, golf was on the upswing. But as the National Golf Foundation reports, since 2006, golf is declining. Golf courses struggle to stay, stay open. Some, local, uh, some locales subsidize municipal courses. It is reasonable to expect the decline will continue. Um, anyway, there's a lot to unpack here. And specifically, uh, specifically, the assemblywoman who brought forth said plan is out to be a bit of a chain yanker if i have to say so myself <laughs> was that what was that show crank yankers remember crank, crank yankers? yeah yeah i remember that she ain't yanking cranks she's yanking chains quite literally um talk to oh. me today. is is golf on such decline we need to convert open green spaces to affordable housing are there other alternatives that we could adopt that make more sense should we take all the positives that come from at-risk youth that develop uh, uh, relationships with golf and and find them another sport to bury themselves in? I don't know. Talk to me. Uh, you know, do the voice. Oh, okay, I I will. Uh, this one hits home again. I was I was in the golf course once. I grew up on a golf course. I was a golf course superintendent, so I understand this very very intimately about why it's important. And so I will say a few things. Number one, uh just let's look at it on its face, right? The whole point of this legislation is to basically allow uh, municipal golf courses to be redeveloped by real estate developers. And the part that you left out that was really important is they, being the state, will give these uh, real estate developers basically a $50 million tax abatement on the property right off the top before they even turn a shovel of dirt over Okay, Ooh. so, yeah, and the point of what they're trying to do is take this land, which obviously, you know, open land and green space and things like that in the state of California, particularly on the coast, and this is only where it's an issue, is on the coast, they're trying to make this into public, not public housing, but housing in general, right? So who knows where this ends up? Who knows what the affordability of it is? You know, California, and particularly coastal California, is not a cheap place to live. And so I can understand where, hey, let's look at what what's the biggest land bank that we possibly have. Hey, parks. Well, can't use parks, right, because we'll piss people off. But golf will piss off less people. Well, I find that to be absolute motherfucking bullshit. Sorry, I'm just going to go ahead and say that. That's bullshit. There is no sport, no outdoor sport that is more accessible to more races, more ethnicities, more ages of people, right? 
you can play golf from the time that you're three years old until you're dead. Literally, three <laughs> years old until you're dead. There's no totally. other sport in the world like that. Mm-hmm. And so to sit there and say that this isn't worthwhile, that there's better uses of land, is absolute mockery, right? Mockery of looking at what, you know, how California's developed over the years and the good stewards of the land that California golf course superintendents have been always, especially in the face of the most intense and scrutinized environmental regulations in the entire country. So, all that said, she's crazy if she thinks that this is a good idea. Absolutely crazy. The fact that they're incentivizing this to the tune of using taxpayer dollars to give up taxable money on land that is highly valuable is an absolute sham. People would pay money hand over fist for these things. To even give somebody an abatement to do anything on these parcels of property is also bullshit. So. I can't believe that this is even being brought up. I can't believe that they would thumb their nose at, um, you know, a part of sports and recreation that is probably the most approachable of any outdoor activity, as I said before, and to do so on the backs of people that are probably hardworking people because, you know, a lot of these are municipal golf courses. These are not the people that are, yeah, that's right, what really grinds my fucking gears. Um, the people that are using these golf courses are blue-collar people, maybe some white-collar people. These are not the people that are country club types. These are not the people that are well-to-do. These are the people that want an outdoor recreational and wellness outlet, and they choose the golf course. And so if you think that you can do better with your fucking high-rise, stale-ass, taupe-walled fucking condominium, go ahead and try. But it's not going to happen now, and it's not going to happen here. I yield my time. (laughs) Thank you, Ryan. No, Thank you, because... I just see this as another giveaway because I have a lot of experience with land and properties that are quote unquote redeveloped under some kind of a state incentive. And here's my experience with them. Yes, they're going to build all of these condominiums, townhouses, and HOAs. But I would buy a robotic mower. You heard that. If, in fact, those HOAs, etc., actually benefited the housing challenge. Because what typically happens is no, no. Because you know what happens in. Uh, Giveaways like this, the developer comes in, he develops the area, and as long as some minuscule percentage goes to a handful of people underneath the poverty line, he's met his requirement. But in the meantime, you have all of these properties that the developer can make bank on at full market value. There, I said my piece. Okay, so the other thing too is, Matt, I'm going to ask you this question because you used to do some of this uh, environmental landscape remediation, water water gardens, bioswales, all that kind of shit. You can't, how can you tell me that by not only removing a large percentage of this ground from nature, essentially, right? 
Okay. And we know the positive impacts. We've talked about it on this show before the positive impacts that golf courses in particular in urban areas have on nature, right? Wildlife and others. How is this going to be any better? How is putting up a, a whole bunch of concrete, a bunch of impervious surfaces and all sorts of shit going to yeah. help anything in terms of the environmental impact? I don't, I don't get any of this. It makes zero sense. Because just doesn't it doesn't. Make sense. There is there is no potential positive environmental impact of installing a bunch of impervious surfaces and pretending like it's doing more for the environment than uh, 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 open green space would. Here's the thing, and if you really, if you really wanted to measure it, um, I would be curious what the carbon sequestration rate would be between. A housing complex and a, a, a green space such as a golf course. I would argue, uh, and I would stand on this hill quite, quite firmly. Uh, as some would say, I might die on this hill. Um, wow. That the environmental impact of having a golf course there is significantly more beneficial than having whatever housing development they decided for that. Um, whether it be mansions or affordable housing or whatever the case may be, uh, eliminating uh, recreational spaces and putting in living quarters with how many cars and uh, how, how many additional people, how much more runoff is generated because of decreased uh, places for infiltration. It's a, it's a bad gig always around. And if they want to pretend like they care about the environment, then um, pick something else to go after and stay away from the fucking golf courses in my opinion, of course, just my opinion. And I hate, I hate to have to throw stones. Um, however, this lady is also quite a bizarre human being. Listen, I'm not one <laughs> to judge people by their private life. You know, what's private is private. And unfortunately she keeps her private life well, rather public. And, to no shame of her. However, the lady has had uh, uh, several sexual harassment policy violations, right, including using vulgar language to her staff, um, grabbing employees uh, uh, inappropriately. Gonads. Yep, by the <laughs> gonads. And uh, also calling uh, 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 gay people in her, in her space uh, homos. So... I, I, I don't know. It's I'm not sure uh, this lady is too much of a practice what she preaches kind of thing, you know, uh, when she's out there grabbing the old uh, tea and berries and, uh, you know, calling old uh, uh, Perez up the road there a homo, uh, Speaker John Perez. I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. It is. That is weird. Uh, <laughs> never mind. I was going to say something really bad. I like so bad that I couldn't say it. I can't you know, it, say that when one. I, when I was, when I was reading this here, it said the Sacramento Bee reported that Daniel Fiera and I was like, Oh my goodness. Did I just get Babylon bead on this article? No, it's actually a real article out of the Sacramento. Bee. Um, <laughs> Hey, let's continue to dial up the heat here because, uh, uh we, no, well, we can, uh, experts disagree on field findings. Bennett faults, Huntress statements. Huntress defers to Tetra Tech. Kyle Bennett, Director of Science Policy for Public Employees and Environmental Responsibility, PEER, has alleged materials for the proposed synthetic field at Martha's Vineyard High School have already failed 
PFAS. PFAS. Mm. Specifications uh, the school self-imposed on the project. Uh, Bennett has alleged a May 2020 response. Uh, landscape architect Chris Huntress gave to Martha's Vineyard Commission staff about those specifications contradicts findings by Tetra Tech, the environmental consultant hired by the NBC for a technical review of the park project. In a December 22nd email to Oak Bluff's health agent, Megan Lancaster, the uh, and Martha Vineyard's uh, superintendent of schools, Matt Dandria, among others, Bennett, who is a scientist and an attorney, hey, Jesse, uh, alleged Tetra Tech found PFAS in samples taken from the type of synthetic field proposed. Bennett's assertion came as Oak Bluff's health board is scheduled to continue discussion on draft regulations for artificial turf at 10 a.m. Response by Huntress indicates that the project uh, specifications required that artificial turf vendor provide third-party testing, stating that they do not use any PFAS chemicals currently listed as part of California's Prop 65 regulations or identified as part of the U.S. EPA's Method 3, uh, 537 to manufacture any part of the turf system. Bennett alleged that testing by Tetra Tech, an environmental consultant hired by the NBC, found one or more chemicals listed in Prop 65 or EPA's Method 537. Uh, they found PFAS in the turf at roughly 148 parts per trillion. Uh, PFPEA is one of the 29 PFAS in EPA's Method uh, 537, so it appears the proposed turf does not meet the project specifications. Moreover, if you look at Tetra Tech's SPLP test, they also found PFOA as well as PFHPA, PFBA, PFPEA, PFHXA. All of these are on the EPA's 537 list. Ooh. Um, it turns out artificial turf may not be so safe if indeed you are worried about PFAS and, you know, uh, uh, plastics and carcinogens in the environment and that kind of thing. Uh, Ray, talk to me here. Talk to me here. Mm-hmm. Uh, is this is this a plan to make us all sick? I'm just kidding. I don't think that's the case. But um, is this does this hold the potential to become a catalyst to get people to reconsider artificial turf? I hope so. I, I honestly really hope so because uh, in addition to the you know PFAS, let's also think about microplastics. And you know what microplastics are, Matt? Yes. Yes, indeed. Okay. Microplastics are the actual plastic fibers turning into nanoparticles on their own and then entering the environment and the food chain. But you know what caught my attention is all of the PFAS and variations on it because basically PFAS are like the shorthand for what's called fluorinated hydrocarbons. And I know some of the guys on the Discord have had a little impromptu organic chemistry lesson from me and the, you know, the Cliff Notes version of that lesson is that when you fluorinate brominate or chlorinate a hydrocarbon there's a high potential that that becomes a forever chemical that is very persistent in the food chain and is not exactly benign to human health in other words we accumulate it and it hurts us so i'm going to ask you matt do you know of instances where PFAS are 
deliberately applied to turf, to natural turf grass as either an adjuvant or as an actual product. Mm-mm. No. Okay. On the other hand, I know of many instances where synthetic carpet type materials. That's the first place where I knew that PFAS were used as uh, stain resistors was, and waterproofers. <laughs> in a little later in the article here, uh, Huntress, uh, who is uh, who's the lady who was working on this here, said that um, they, uh, under the supervision of TetraTech, had Alpha Analytical Labs uh, review it and confirmed that the manufacturer does not manufacture using any of the PFAS chemicals that was actually identified. Um, our proposed project specification does require the artificial turf vendor provide third-party testing, stating that they do not use any PFAS chemicals currently listed as part of uh, Prop 65 and 537 to manufacture any part of the turf system. The proposed synthetic turf manufacturers, including the turf and film resilient pad, do not use PFDEA in the manufacture of their products. Uh, it's a five-carbon compound that is ever-present in the soil, human bodies, wastewater, etc. Traces of PFDEA can be detected in countless consumer products and can be a problem when test materials become contaminated by personal care products, for example, at these exceedingly small concentrations. We cannot know for certain whether PFPEA is in a material, such as infill or synthetic turf fibers, or instead just seems to be there because it was transferred to that material during sampling, transport, and analysis. As mentioned above, we recommend that the OB Board of Health contact Tetratech and ask them their questions directly. So a little bit of controversy here because we do know some contamination of samples can indeed occur. And and I'm not versed enough in PFAS and a lot of other shit to be able to have uh, any kind of uh, scientific opinion on, you know, what these uh, uh, trace amounts mean. We are talking about parts per trillion here, which is a trace amount. So it will be interesting to see how this plays out. And, you know, as one of the statements by Bennett here says, the specs say no PFAS. Bennett said in the school specifications, however, there is PFAS. So, I don't know. Interesting. Something to definitely keep an eye on. This next one here, Lawmaker. Lawmaker says requiring grass during Utah drought makes no sense. The good news for Utah is residents save water over the summer. Salt Lake City and Sandy City saved 2.8 billion gallons of water this year compared to the same, uh, same time last year. But the bad news is 79% of the state remains in extreme drought, according to Utah Division of Water Resources. A Utah lawmaker has proposed uh, has a proposal to keep saving water in the state by loosening some rules. House Bill 95 by Representative Ray Ward prohibits certain government or private entities, such as homeowners association, from requiring a property owner or resident to plant or maintain lawn or turf where lawn or turf does not include a golf course park, athletic field, or sod farm. Uh, Ward joined the KSL News Radio's Dave. Uh, blah, 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 does this. Um, let the residents choose. Ward said owners bill HOAs have provided uh, another option besides only lawns when they set up the rules. Uh, Norwegia asks if local control over rules for lawns and watering made more sense than legislator dictating what those rules should be. I don't know. Uh, kind of an interesting take here. I know they are experiencing record drought. Is it something? Do you keep throwing more water at the problem or do you open up the flexibility to allow homeowners to choose whether they want to zero escape or whatever the case may be? Talk to me, right? Okay. You know what I think? I think that that's more than uh, reasonable because to me, it's a catch-22, for example, 
when somebody's in a homeowner's association and that homeowner's association demands pristine green grass, yet at the same time, the state is in a drought. That is a catch-22 and a contradiction. And oh, by the way, here in Hawaii, we go through that same bullshit. Okay, we do. And to me, I would be in favor of basically making any mandate to keep green grass illegal. Just don't do it because here's my take on it, my literal take. If you tell me what I have to do with my property, for example, you, the state, show up and do it for me. And you pay for it, too. Plain and simple. <laughs> you pay for it, too. Listen. Yeah. It's like, you don't I'm, tell me what to do. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of government in and telling you what you can and can't do. Um, you, you know, I was, I was reading what, uh, must have grass and can't cut down two oak trees in the front lawn. You hear it all the time. And, uh, and it's, a, it's an odd, odd thing and an odd predicament to be in. And it makes it, it exceptionally complex here in Utah with the impact of, of the drought that they have going on. So, but at the end of the day, really, who should have control over their property? You or the government? Mm. Because, Matt, correct me if I'm wrong. What a sensible, reasonable, and responsible person keep on throwing water on their grass if they knew their region was suffering from drought. What a reasonable person continue to do gallons that. gallons a day keeps the drought away. <laughs> I mean, would, would, would a reasonable person do that? I mean, because I know I wouldn't. Because, goodness me, uh, if I screw up regarding water supply, I'm cooked. I'm done. Because I can't truck my water in from California, for example. So, just that seawater, right? Yeah, but what I'm saying is that in the face of severe circumstances such as a drought, does it make sense that property owners get caught in the middle where they're having to save water, but their HOA defies common sense? Even again, why do we need to legislate this? Why can't we incentivize the behavior we want to see rather than just outlaw it? Because I'm not saying that Utah is gonna, you know, have a rainy season anytime soon, but it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense of uh, removing that outwardly and altogether. Uh, I, I think again incentivize the behaviors you want to see and you will see them but in this case it's just hamstrings you down the road i i, I don't not know ryan not, not not good for one of our friends either if there's no turf grass out there i mean how else is he going to get 1.7 star reviews on google well but you know but you know what Ooh. poor poor mr castleberry 
it didn't matter because uh, they just shut off his irrigation line. Period. They just shut the damn thing off. And so he couldn't water. Well, and before can you ima- shut off. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, Ray. <laughs> no, and can you imagine having your irrigation line shut off and you're in a neighborhood with one of those bullshit HOAs? Imagine that. What are you supposed to do? Truck in water? I mean, really, that's what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to because I've heard of people living in HOAs. What miserable pieces of shit the people are that write and enforce the rules of an HOA. They have no attachment to reality whatsoever. I think we should well, all plant corn in our front yards. Yeah, and while we're doing that, let's try and bring a little bit of positive back into our lives, gentlemen. Come on, come on. Let's check out this week's return. The grass is greener at Brentsville District High School. Did I say that correctly? Brentsville. Brentsville. Brunsville. Uh, the Brunsville District High School Turf Program has earned the Sports Turf Managers Association Award for Field of the Year for their work in maintaining their school's Donald Lambert Field. This award is the industry high, is industry's highest honor and is awarded to recognize leaders who manage sporting playing services at the professional collegiate schools and recreational levels. The National Field of the Year Award proves how our classroom is developing some of the best young sports turf managers in the country managing the best sports fields in the nation, shared Andrew Miller, agricultural teacher and program director. The students in the program are proud of their achievement. Carly O'Leary, a senior in the program, recounted the long hours, freezing early mornings, and teamwork required of them. The students in our program work not only for each other, but with each other. Without the structure and guidance we have received within the Brentsville Turf Program, we would not be where we are today as the home of the country's best natural grass playing surface. Addison Butler, sophomore, really believes in the program. To me, this award means that this year we have worked our full potential as a program and are really making a name for ourselves within the industry. Gentlemen, I freaking love this. Absolutely love this. Not only that is, is a return ball, you see yeah. men and women coming together on it, experiencing the freezing early mornings, the long hours. The scrutiny of the pain, but the importance of operating as a team to have a cohesive end goal. And the cohesive end goal being a playing surface that benefits all at the school. Freaking amazing. Sign me up. Why didn't they do this shit in my high school? My teachers were too busy kicking our ass and we were worried about the damn quality of the field. I love it. Uh, Hey, where we say, where was, where, where's this program for me? Where was this program for me? I mean, I would have uh, grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that that's a different story. I mean, uh, <laughs> grandfather didn't grow things. That was just a side thing. <laughs> hey, it worked out, right? <laughs> it worked out though. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, and and this is the problem with you know our industry right now is that we have an extreme problem with attracting 
young people and or new people to the tea industry. And so uh, I get to meet Drew. You, you, Andrew is the guy's name in the article, but uh, he goes by Drew. I get to meet Drew last month here in Ohio. He came to speak at our state turf conference, actually, about you know what it's like to uh, manage and motivate and attract and retain uh, these really young kids. You know, the, the 16 to 20 year old demographic that, you know, for years, Matt, I mean, was sort of our bread and butter. Right. I mean, if you were a young kid in high school, you go get a job at a golf course. Ray, I mean, you worked lawn care when you were young. And I think that's something that, you know, we all remember is just part of who we were when we grew up. It's not the case today. And I think a lot of it, you know, stems from the fact that kids are doing other things. They're not being asked to work. Uh, and when they do get that opportunity, they're not aware that this is a career choice that they can make. And even if they are aware of it, their parents are like, well, you're just going to turn into the lawn boy and be Matt Martin don't be Matt Martin, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then the kid comes back. He's like, don't talk about turf truth that way. <laughs> hey, I mean, honest story. You are too hard. My father, <laughs> my father. Mom, you triggered me. My entire family, they totally looked down on me. They totally looked down on me because they thought that I would not amount to anything, and I'd end up with my tail between my legs, ending up having to work for somebody else. And well, you know, well, <laughs> to keep to keep a positive spin on this is I can yeah. say confidently at thirty five now, having chosen to get into this industry. Um, I will probably exit it having never made anything of it. So at least <laughs> some up. of us Shut are doing well. Shut the fuck well. up. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. It was a you joke. No. You self-deprecating no. asshole. You, yeah. I'm going to get you, all right? All right? Yeah. No <laughs> negative when talk. You, and when you, and no when you negative talk. Here, when you slide over <laughs> here to me on that Tuesday, Tuesday night, boy, mm -hmm. I can't wait. Oh, <laughs> uh, so softly holding hands too. When, when a, maybe, maybe, uh, would, would you do this? Would you give me a little thumb rub on top of the palm? I can, I can do the thumb rub. Can we do okay. the, uh, the engagement photos or the pregnancy photos where we, we do like hearts together where we share hands and, and do all yes. my daughter. And yes. I do and, then, so and then maybe, I want to take our and fingers. And I want to wait, wait, wait. I want to do one of these. You know, signify, <laughs> signify the. That's the international sign language for sword fight. Two peen, two peens. No beep, 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 beep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was like crossing streams or something. Uh, yeah, you don't, do even, you don't even know what that's from. Matt. You don't thing. even know what that's from. I, I don't. You're right. Uh, an Apex company acquires turf services out of Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, Apex-based landscape companies acquired Triad Company in the same field. A bland landscaping company and provider of commercial landscape management services has acquired Turf Service, Inc. of Greensboro. The terms were not revealed. Uh, it started in 1979, and uh, Ray Comer and Greg Blazer, TSI provides, they worked their ass off to get to where they are. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't going to dive too deep into this, but uh, good for these guys. Look at this. Yeah. 2021, Bland ranked 68th on the landscape management top 150 list of lawn care and landscaping companies in the U.S. 
and Canada by total revenue, jumping 20 spots from its 88th yeah. rank in 2020. Kurt Bland and his brother Matt Bland, CFO and COO, lead the company. Uh, someone is making big moves out there, and uh, good for those guys. I'm just saying, you know, uh, the reason I I put this is, hey, first of all, good for these guys, right? The the mm-hmm. the dream of every lawn care operator is to get so big that you make a ton of money, and then you go exit and you sell the business, and that's your retirement. And good for these guys, right? I I just curious, you know, what you guys think about, you know, as boomers age out and you know Generation X and the millennials come up here, is I think there's gonna be a lot of opportunities to buy businesses, right? Not necessarily like the big boys just, you know, gobbling up all the little guys, but I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for uh, the smaller guys to strategically expand their book of business through purchasing, you know, people that are, in effect, exiting, retiring, moving away, whatever the case might be. And so I thought this was an interesting article to, to highlight that a little bit. Good for these guys. Hopefully they're on a beach somewhere in Aruba listening to us. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, hopefully they're enjoying Panama and everything it has to offer with gigantic smiles on their face and tequila in their cup aplenty. Uh, Michigan State <laughs> receives, is this Michigan State? I see MSU. It is Michigan State. Uh, receives a $1 million dollar lead gift to endow a new turf grass pathology chair. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Michigan State University College of Agriculture and Natural Resources launches a $5 million campaign to endow the Joe Vargas chair in turf grass pathology. Endowed positions are a cornerstone for recruiting outstanding faculty and supporting innovative research, said MSU President Samuel Stanley, uh, Jr., MD. We are fortunate to have Michigan Turfgrass Foundation partnership in our efforts to advance solutions to pressing challenges in turfgrass science in ways that will improve lives and strengthen communities. Funding for the endowment Joe Vargas Chair in Turfgrass Pathology will ensure that a strong and robust program is possible in perpetuity and that MSU's land-grant tradition of linking research to the region's needs continues to advance the economic development, environmental stewardship, and improve quality of life in Michigan and around the world. The endowment honors Joe Vargas, who dedicated his 51-year career to improving the quality of turf on every continent except Antarctica. This knowledge has been shared in over 200 articles and over 1,000 presentations. As an international expert on turf grass diseases, he is a member of the Michigan Golf Hall of Fame. I love to see the preservation of uh, turf grass programs because, unfortunately, some of them have fallen by the wayside. Uh, rest in peace, University of Kentucky turf grass program, which I got to say, mm. you know, I'm I'm no Kentucky fan, as people know. <laughs> um, I, I believe Tennessee orange. I, there's no blue in my blood. But as a Southeastern Conference school, you do not like to see that because there was good work being done at a university of Kentucky. And, uh, and it's, and it's sad. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's like, I don't know, shit, man, losing a pet or something. First of all, I want to say this while we're on the topic of SEC is that this show is being recorded Monday night, January the 10th. While the CFP national championship game is going on. The show is being recorded in protest, ladies and gentlemen, because everybody rightfully knows that, Ohio State, University of Tennessee, and University of Hawaii at Manoa are the three greatest football programs in this entire country. Just go home. Go the fact that we're not playing in the national championship is is uh is affirmed why we're it's, protesting the show. I'm, hey, I refuse to watch. Just, no, seriously, you know what? Nick Saban, right? 
and Kirby are out there coaching, wasting all this time trying to win a championship. Our guys are out there recruiting right now. All right, trying to get better. So, hey, University of Alabama, how much turf grass research have you got out there? That's right. <laughs> go, go f yourself. Hey, I, the re- <laughs> I, I just want to say this is first. Uh, if you don't know who Joe Vargas is and you're listening to the show, you absolutely need to go Google him. Joe Vargas is an absolute legend. A lot yeah. of the turf pathology work that's been done in the last 50 years, we owe to him, especially on cool season. Some of the stuff that he has done, and especially the grad students that he has put through his program, have led to some groundbreaking, literally groundbreaking work over the last 50 years. So Joe is a legend. He deserves to be recognized in this way. The really cool thing about this, and uh, Virginia Tech and the Virginia Turfgrass Association just did a very similar thing where they just endowed a graduate research position, is that, Ray, this money will allow these folks to conduct research outside of what they have to apply for grants or get what they call soft money, which comes from manufacturers, right, and suppliers and things of that nature. So this allows them to sort of go on their own and explore certain topics, you know, like... uh, Oxides, oxides, or oxides, ox, oxides for micronutrients. Why do you have to steal my yeah. shit, man? Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, <laughs> go ahead, Ray. I got real excited. Well, yo, this is this to me is good news because <laughs> he's thrashing the mic. These kind he's of endowments, yeah, these kind of endowments are exactly what's needed to get all of the or some of the at least. To buy my shit away from turf grass research. I mean, this is just sorely, sorely needed. And oh, by the way, because of an endowment like this, I know that when University of Michigan Plant Pathology Department makes a recommendation that is not based on what the big three chemical manufacturers are telling them to say, this is a win. It is. And, you know, there is, uh, I, in, if, for those of you that are, that are, you know, kind of wondering, like we're being very direct about this, but you, you have to understand, you know, when, for instance, I did the humic acid video, um, one of the, uh, uh, pieces of uh, one of the studies that I continue to reference was that that came out of Ohio State, I believe it was. And mm-hmm. the reason why I kept referencing it was because there was so much information that made it into that study that you never saw in any of the headlines or bylines related to it, right? Um, everybody was talking about all the awesome things you were seeing from humic acid. Look at this study. This study just shows so much, so many positive things are taking place. But then you dive down into it, and as far as the product claims that are coming from manufacturers, all of those, almost all of those, were 100% debunked. And it was a bit shocking uh, to actually read the study and then read the headlines that were out in the uh in the in the ethosphere point being point being with these endowments endowments where you're not having to rely on money from anderson's you're not having to rely on money from carbon earth you're not having to rely on money from whoever then you get to be a bit more free with how those headlines and bylines actually read versus when anderson's funds your entire research project that 
uh, arguably cost a fair amount of money and took a long, long time, then you might have to be a bit more favorable in how you present the data, even though it may contain data points that aren't so favorable to the product. So interesting and fun to see, positive thing to see. And uh, and again, one more win for the turf grass industry. Gentlemen, let's check out this week's mailbag. You've got mail. This one here is from Old McDonald had a farm. E-I-E-I. Just kidding. This is from McDonald, though. He said, hey, Matt, love listening to you, RD, and Ray. Shoot the shade and sharing your knowledge multiple <laughs> times a week. I have a question about POA and Anua, uh, POA Anua, oh, don't control-based stop, stop, Don. Stop. I had to say POA Anua just for the shiz and giggles, right? Shh, giggles. <laughs> Shout um, out there, bro. I have a KBG perennial rye mix, um, uh, roughly 3,000 square feet in eastern Long Island, New York, which is zone 7A, by the way. I did not know that. The yard is three years old. I've been battling Poa annua since I moved into the house and have been mostly happy with my success, but every fall I end up having to use glyphosate to carrot to kill several large patches in the yard and reseed. Luckily, I've avoided any issue with Poa triv. Unfortunately, I reseeded later than I wanted and couldn't get around a pre-emergent down that, that wouldn't have affected the overseed before the ground temps dropped too low. So my intention is to try and hit it with the post-emergent mix several times in the spring. I watched one of the videos from last year on POA control and special tank mixes and listened to your latest show when you spoke about Exonerate. Unfortunately, I'm fairly certain that my wife will kill me if I order a $500 bottle of anything. So I was you don't know that until you do it. You don't know that until you do it. Dismiss, T-necks, and tenacity. I have all those what? already on my shelf. I was thinking about picking up a claim as well, but I'm not sure it's necessary to add in or not. Just wanted to make sure that I'm not doing something totally stupid or responsible. I appreciate any help you can provide and keep doing what you're doing. Um, so as far as the tank mix you put forth here, if it's fumicate, dismiss, T-nex, and tenacity, I say go for it minus the T-nex. Um, I see what? potential synergies between fumicate, dismiss, and tenacity. Um, as far as in, you say why, Demay, and the why being is that at the fumicate is you know, arguably, arguably, 60 to 80% effective at control with repeat applications. Are you going to move it to 90, 95% control through the addition of dismiss and tenacity? I don't know. I don't know. Is that starting in the spring? I think that's based on a fall start, though, with your FO program. Yeah, I could be 100% wrong on that. I don't know. No, no, no. I I I don't think you're off base. I just think that by doing that, in the spring without having done fall applications and using the cold of the winter, because that's part of what really helps kick it in the ass. Ray, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a big part of sort of the two app in the fall, one app in the spring or the one app in the fall, two app in the spring kind of deal with Etho. You must say Etho and and tank mixes. Yes. And I have to add one more thing. Mm -hmm. If you have an issue with poor, Resync applying Trinexapac. And the reason why is because there have been various studies done where POA affected fairways and golf greens, for example, have demonstrated that on a Trinexapac program, the POA is favored. So I would actually avoid using Trinexapac with the int- intention of knocking back pull if I wanted to hurt 
POA, I would look at another PGR. And the other note that I'd have to make is I don't like to apply PGRs in conjunction with dismiss. I don't like to do yeah. it. And the oh, reason why I don't it. like to yes. do it is because do you all understand what an effective sulfentrazone application looks like? Yes. When you're done doing it. Looks, it looks, looks a little hurt. She's, yeah. She's been, she's been yeah. walked over a little bit. <laughs> so, what you think about is when your turf is obviously singed without mm. the ball gag. Uh, Sheila. <laughs> you see how red that you see how you see how red that back you see how red and shiny that backside is? It's about where your grass yeah. should be after dismiss that. You won't yeah. see that so in the product see... literature though or on the label, but you know, it's implied. Yeah. Take take my word for it. But what you don't is want spit? is oh, you yeah. yeah. You don't want the grass to be slowed down by a PGR, you know. When you're trying to get it to recover from a sulfentrazone application, that's just, it yeah, just doesn't work that, out very well. <laughs> that's kind of one of those that I almost want to do just to see what would happen. Like, don't do it, Demay. Don't like, do it. I've done I, it. You know, here, here's one of those things. <laughs> I would love this. And if Turf Truth, if you're still listening or if you're going to watch the replay or listen to us, I would love to partner up and do Turf Mythbusters. I think that would be so fucking fun. Cool. Turf that myth. would be cool. Dude. Yeah. I'd quit my day job. Okay. To do turf Mythbusters. Well, <laughs> well, which one of you is at? Which one of you is uh, Adam Adam Savage, and which one of you is Jamie Heineman? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, see the, really, see this chest. Take a guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I would place you as being uh, Jamie Heineman because he was just a big tree of a guy i mean he was just like tall Same. <laughs> good Same. good but but seriously i would explore that tank mix of esophumicate sulfentrazone and mesotrione if i were going after poa and i would look at it as a say a split fall application followed by an early spring application to you know really you know nail the the coffin shut and understand that this is also not a three applications and we're done kind of a thing i suggest just making this part of your weed control and oh by the way if you do here's the happy side effect crabgrass is probably not going to be one of your issues. Yeah, I thought it was because, crazy. yeah, because I don't know why people don't talk about this more, but esophumacy is actually labeled as not only a pre-emergent, but an early post-emergent application on crabgrass. You know, you yeah. if you... If you apply it correctly and you have a crabgrass issue, it's going to move the needle on, you know, your crabgrass issue as well. And that's 
in absence of your traditional pendimethylin, disiopir, or prodiamine preemergent, because estofumacy is normally used as a preemergent in egg in sugar beets hmm. and spinach. Uh, one more thing I just wanted to say was that uh, you could probably leave the acclaim out. I don't think that's going to add anything to what you already have. Um, and acclaim doesn't on OA is just no sucks. No, acclaim has negligible effect on on poa. Maybe it does something to poa trivialis, but that's at stupidly high rates that I think your Kentucky bluegrass is not going to tolerate. Uh, it's garbage too. Um, yeah. All right, gentlemen, that is going to wrap up today's episodes. I want to thank everybody, thank our sponsors, uh, viewers, and uh, to help with the dogs and uh, and Alabama because no one cares about them. Anyway, uh, Ray, Brian, thank you so much. We're going to head to the show after the show where our supporters will pick this week's titles. Catch you on the next one. <laughs>